0: Oscar Wilde's 1893 play, Lady Windermere's Fan, a play about a good woman, is set in Victorian London and centers around the fastidious protagonist, Lady Windermere. Approximately 100 years after the publication of this play, two researchers described a cohort of women who developed mycobacterium avium complex infections in the right middle lobe or lingula of their lung. They termed this presentation as Lady Windermere Syndrome for its propensity to occur in older women without underlying lung disease, who voluntarily suppress their normal cough, inhibiting sufficient mucus clearance and ultimately predisposing them to infections with mycobacterium. Although its mechanism has since been questioned, this syndrome is a cause of bronchiectasis, a chronic lung disease. Bronchiectasis was first described by the French physician René Lenec, decades before Lady Windermere first appeared on stage. It is a well-known sequela of cystic fibrosis, but as we will soon see, there are many other causes of bronchiectasis. Today, your patient has bronchiectasis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on-call. Today's episode is entitled An Emphasis on Bronchiectasis. Specifically, we will talk about non-CF or non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis in this episode. Alright, time for a minute physiology. Our lungs are composed of branching airways, which start with the cartilaginous trachea and progress to the much narrower and numerous bronchioles these airways must transport inhaled air to the alveoli while preventing potentially hostile invaders from doing the same. While large particles and inhaled air are filtered out by the nose, the clearance of smaller particles and debris depends on the function of the mucociliary escalator. An integral part of the innate immune system, the mucociliary escalator contains of mucus, which is produced by goblet cells and mucus glands in the bronchial walls, as well as hair-like projections called cilia which utilize their collective rhythmic movement to propel mucus and trapped particles up towards the epiglottis, where it can be either swallowed or coughed out. If these invaders do happen to make it to the alveoli, a second line of defense in the form of macrophages will engulf the invaders and lead to their clearance. We can see now that like well-guarded castles, our lungs have numerous protective mechanisms in place to defend us against potential invaders. Bronchiectasis is a chronic disease characterized by permanent abnormal dilation of airways, and is an example of what can happen if these defense systems falter. The pathogenesis of this disease is best described by the vicious cycle hypothesis, which was first described by J.P. Cole in 1986. The trigger for this cycle depends on the cause of bronchiectasis, but often involves a predisposed individual mounting a predominantly neutrophilic response to an initial infection or injury in the lungs, at either the site of ineffective mucus clearance due to abnormal airways, or other. The inflammatory response reduces the efficacy of the mucociliary escalator. It compromises ciliary function and results in mucus gland hypertrophy and hyperplasia, leading to not only mucus hypersecretion, but also the release of mucus into bronchioles, which are normally mucus-free. These changes make it harder for mucus and microorganisms to be cleared. This creates an environment where microorganisms can thrive and inflammation is ongoing, thus perpetuating this vicious cycle. Over time, this chronic inflammatory response results in the structural changes seen in bronchiectatic airways. For example, the proteases and elastases released by neutrophils destroy bronchial wall elastin and lead to the dilation of airways. Let's talk about our approach to bronchiectasis. The etiology of non cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis can be divided into broad categories infection, congenital abnormalities, immune dysfunction, and obstruction. First, infection. One of the most common causes of bronchiectasis worldwide is childhood pulmonary infection. This can be secondary to bacteria such as Pseudomonas aeruginosa and Haemophilus influenza viruses such as adenovirus and influenza, and atypical mycobacteria. Chronic pulmonary infections with both tuberculosis and non-tuberculous mycobacteria, as well as inflammatory responses to chronic airway aspergillus are also notable causes of bronchiectasis. Second, congenital abnormalities. Numerous inherited conditions can lead to bronchiectasis by impairing the function of the mucociliary escalator. For example, primary ciliary dyskinesia, is a primary genetic disorder characterized by the loss of coordinated beating of the cilia and defective mucus clearance. Patients with this disorder often also present with infertility. Young syndrome is another inherited condition characterized by the production of abnormally viscous mucus. Inherited conditions can also be implicated in bronchiectasis through their impact on airway anatomy. For example, Williams-Campbell syndrome results from defective cartilage in the subsegmental bronchi. Immunia kuhn syndrome, also known as tracheal bronchomegaly, results from the loss of elastic fibers and smooth muscle in the trachea and main bronchi. In both of these conditions, the loss of airway support leads to airway collapse and consequently hinders secretion clearance. Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is another inherited condition associated with bronchiectasis, although its mechanism in this context is not fully understood at this time. Third, immune dysfunction. Diseases which suppress the normal inflammatory response, such as common variable immune deficiency, congenital A-gamma globulinemia, HIV, and malnutrition, just to name a few, lead to bronchiectasis by impairing the host defenses and predisposing to recurrent infections. Alternatively, autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus erythematosus, and inflammatory bowel disease, in which there is an upregulation of systemic inflammatory response, have also been implicated in the development of bronchiectasis. Lastly, obstruction. Mechanical obstruction of the airways provides an anatomical barrier to mucus clearance and can lead to a more localized bronchiectasis. Examples include endoluminal and extraluminal airway tumors foreign body inhalation, and impacted mucus. There are many other causes of bronchiectasis, such as aspiration, to consider. If all of these have been excluded, as occurs in approximately one-third to half of cases, the cause is likely idiopathic. So, let's go see our patient with bronchiectasis. The most common symptom of bronchiectasis is a chronic productive cough. Other symptoms include dyspnea, hemoptysis, and recurrent chest infections or pneumonia. You should investigate for bronchiectasis in patients who have chronic productive cough lasting 8 weeks or more in duration, as well as patients who get recurrent pneumonias. Finally, you should consider bronchiectasis as an etiology in patients with COPD, who have two or more annual exacerbations, and in severe or uncontrolled asthma, despite optimal treatment. Your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? Given the nonspecific symptoms of bronchiectasis, you should ensure that your patient is not in any respiratory distress or in septic shock from a possible infection or pneumonia. Once your patient is stable, you can then move forward with your assessment. On history, you want to clarify the presence of symptoms of bronchiectasis. Once again, these include chronic cough, daily speed production, dyspnea, hemoptysis, and pleuritic chest pain. Next, you want to evaluate for an underlying etiology of bronchiectasis. This includes a history of respiratory infections or risk factors for exposure to TB. Ask about a history of recurrent sinus infections to identify a potential underlying immunodeficiency. Screen for connective tissue diseases and inflammatory bowel disease by asking about any issues with arthritis, rashes, oral ulcers, diarrhea, or bloody stools. Ask about a prior diagnosis of asthma or COPD, or symptoms suggestive of these diagnoses. History items that can identify patients who should be screened for primary ciliary dyskinesia include the presence of symptoms since childhood a history of neonatal distress, recurrent otitis media, rhinosinusitis since childhood, and infertility. On physical exam, begin by doing a general examination and identifying features of chronic infection or inflammation such as cachexia. Conduct a thorough respiratory exam and look for any wheezing suggestive of airflow obstruction. Examine the patient's fingers for signs of clubbing. Make sure you examine for findings of connective tissue diseases by conducting a thorough exam of the patient's joints, skins, and oral mucosa. On to our workup. This episode is on non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis. So it is presumed that cystic fibrosis has already been ruled out with a normal sweat chloride measurement and normal genetic testing. GI symptoms, infertility, and rhinosinusitis may be clues for the diagnosis of late-onset cystic fibrosis. The test of choice for the diagnosis of bronchiectasis is a high-resolution CT scan. The most specific features on a high-resolution CT scan suggestive of non-CF bronchiectasis include... First, an airway lumen diameter that is larger than that of its accompanying blood vessel, with a broncho-arterial ratio that is greater than 1. This is also known as the signet ring sign. Second, lack of tapering of peripheral bronchi. Non-tapering bronchi with thickened walls are also known as the tram-track sign. And third, visible bronchi within 1 centimeter of the costal pleural surface. Other features that may be present on the CT include bronchial wall thickening, mucus plugging, and air trapping. Basic blood work for all patients with bronchiectasis should include a CBC, CRP, serum immunoglobulins including IgE, alpha-1 antitrypsin level, rheumatoid factor, ANA, and anti-CCP. If the serum IgE is elevated, you can then further assess for allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis with skin prick testing or serum IgE testing to aspergillus fumigatus. If secondary immunodeficiency is suspected, obtain an SPEP or HIV screen. A sputum sample should be sent for CNS and acid-fast bacilli to identify a causative organism. You should also obtain pulmonary function testing to assess for airflow obstruction, gas trapping, and hyperinflation. Spirometry is also used to monitor disease progression. Bronchoscopy is rarely required, however, it is indicated for the evaluation of patients with focal disease to assess for an obstructing tumor or a foreign body. Bronchoscopy can also be done if a diagnosis of non-tuberculous mycobacteria is highly suspected, but the sputum culture is negative. Treatment of non-CF bronchiectasis should include treatment of any causative etiologies, such as those we've discussed earlier in this episode. We have also now seen that increased inspissated mucus production and decreased mucus clearance play a key role in the pathogenesis of non-CF bronchiectasis. It comes as no surprise, therefore, that airway clearance strategies are an integral part of the management of this disease. This can be facilitated through chest physiotherapy, which helps to clear mucus through breathing techniques, postural drainage, and mechanical devices. Pulmonary rehabilitation programs can also help promote airway clearance through exercise. Adjunctive treatment includes nebulized agents such as hypertonic saline, which promotes the movement of fluid from cells into the mucus, altering its viscosity and making it easier to clear. These agents are also known as mucoactives. Next, antibiotics play an important and diverse role in the management of non-CF bronchiectasis. First, antibiotics are used for eradication therapy, which refers to the targeted elimination of a certain pathogen from the respiratory tract. In non-CF bronchiectasis, eradication therapy is indicated for patients with new isolates of Pseudomonas aeruginosa and achieved through a combination of oral, IV, and or inhaled antibiotics. Second, antibiotics are also used in the treatment of acute exacerbations, which are generally defined by an acute worsening of lung function or symptoms, such as increased cough, sputum production, sputum viscosity, or sputum purulence. A total of 14 days of antibiotics is generally required in these cases. A sputum sample should be sent off for culture before the initiation of antibiotics, Once this has been done, empiric antibiotics should be started while awaiting these results and can be tailored to the patient's prior sputum cultures and susceptibilities if present. Third, patients who have three or more exacerbations per year require long-term antibiotic treatment to reduce their underlying microbial burden. This is usually with oral macrolides or with inhaled antibiotics if the patient is chronically infected with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Given the heightened risk of resistant non-tuberculous mycobacteria with macrolide treatment, a sputum stain and culture must be done to assess for non-tuberculous mycobacteria colonization before macrolides are used. In addition to airway clearance techniques and antibiotics, surgery may also be indicated for those who have ongoing advanced disease despite maximal medical management. Surgical resections such as a lobectomy may be indicated in patients with localized disease and lung transplantation may be an option in some patients with diffuse disease. In 2019, the British Thoracic Society published updated guidelines on bronchiectasis, where more information on this topic is available. Alright, time for a Medicine Minute. The EMBRACE trial was a multi-center, randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial they evaluated the efficacy of azithromycin on health-related outcomes in patients with non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis. The study included patients who had bronchiectasis diagnosed by high-resolution CT scan and who had at least one pulmonary exacerbation requiring antibiotic treatment in the past year. Patients were randomized to receive azithromycin 500 mg three times a week or placebo. The study was able to demonstrate a significant decrease in the rate of exacerbations over six months in the azithromycin group. However, there was no significant difference in the change in FEV1 between the two groups or in health-related quality of life. This trial, along with others, has led to guideline recommendations to consider chronic antibiotic therapy in patients with bronchiectasis who have recurrent exacerbations. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled An Emphasis on Bronchiectasis. This episode was written by Dr. Aram Karkar and Dr. Yasmin Bazadian, Internal Medicine Residents, and reviewed by Dr. Sophie Corvo and Dr. Michael Nicholson, respirologists, and Dr. Leslie Martin and Dr. Jeff Yu, General Internists. The Internet Work Series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Allison Lai, Sara Morelli, and Leah Karianopoulos. This podcast was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nafis Hussain, theme song by Lakshman Fazantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic at our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.